Hello and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. This is a podcast about the church and for the church. I am Connor and I'm here with Mike and we're going to get right into it uh, today. We're uh, glad to have you with us listening to another uh, installment of our series on deconstructionism and exvangelical culture. We kind of uh, introduced this last week and today we want to get into another question. So Mike, the question that we want to talk about today is where has deconstructionism pushed some people off point? In the church, what what are the dangers that people have kind of run aground uh, on in terms of getting pushed into a kind of focus or direction that's not helpful? So, Mike, let me um, let me just give that question to you. You can take us to what scripture comes to mind and talk about that, and we'll see where, where the conversation goes from there. All right, sounds good. Well, let me paint a picture first. Okay, you're watching a sporting event, and the game is over, and uh, they're interviewing like the the star of the game. They just scored 50 points in the NBA playoffs or whatever. This was in my mind here. And what you see is someone in the background, kind of off center, frantically waving wildly. It's the person who wants to say hi, mom, or hi to their friends. <laughs> they want the attention, right? Right. And the person in the background is waving, trying to be seen. You never see the camera operator cut from the star and go over and give attention to that person. They yep. just, they're either kind of pushed out of the way or you just ignore them as annoying, okay? And I get this picture with, with deconstructionism and evangelicalism and all of that, of that person in the background that just is waving frantically and needs to be seen and needs the attention, begging for attention. And of course, that's not everyone, but, you know, Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, uh, there's fierce wolves coming that are going to pull people away from the flock. But yep. I think for the most part, we're talking about wayward sheep a lot of times or, you know, wolves in sheep clothing or what have you. But there, some of them are, are you know, very animated about it and very like militant and others are mm-hmm. just looking for attention. Okay. And so I think there's different categories, but how the church can maybe fall into that danger or run aground is that often we're not as resolute as that camera operator that won't pan over to the person begging for attention, that won't you know, uh, do what they want to do. The, the camera operator stays resolute on the, the focal point. And I think a lot of Christians have gotten diverted from the main focal point, that is Christ and Him crucified, yep. by people that are begging for attention. And so... Again, I just want to keep that as a kind of a thought because the dangers of being diverted from Christ and and the, the good of the church, it's kind of like that example we gave, I think it was last week, where we said like on an ocean liner, if someone jumps overboard, uh, they get a lot of attention for themselves, and rightly so, they want to do rescue, but there's 500 people on there that are going to safety. Yeah. You know, 500 yeah. people that are going to their destination. Right. And even if no one sees them jump, uh, and the, the ocean liner keeps going and doesn't stop. We, we focus on we lost one, and, and, and we should. Yeah. But we also, 500 were saved, you know, <laughs> and we forget that, that Christ has chosen his church. The church is not the focal point. Christ is the focal point. We are his bride, yes, but we are his people. We will see him as he is. We will see him face to face. He will be glorified, and our glorification only magnifies his glorification, so I think mm-hmm. when someone's trying to make themselves the focal point, and I'm not trying to be unkind, I think someone might say, that's just so unkind. You're saying that the person, well, no, I just want to call it like it is. 
because there's this great need. What do we need? I mean, only God knows the the intent of the heart. Only God knows what people, you know, are doing and why they're doing it. But there's a need not just to focus on Christ, but to focus on his word. So Christ and scripture. And what the deconstructionist does is divert attention away from Christ and scripture hmm. to themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we want to listen to people. We want to talk them through their issues, but we don't want to be diverted from Christ. Right. No, that's, that's super helpful. You know, I'm, I'm imagining somebody who's, let's say someone who's in our high school or junior high group at church, and they have a friend who they know from school, and maybe that person has grown up in the church, but now that friend is really st- struggling and is confused in their gender identity, mm-hmm. and they're starting to walk through that. Well, I can imagine any one of our high school students will starting to be really concerned about that and just wondering, okay, how do I, how do I engage with this person? How do I, how do I think about these issues? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. And both of us would say it, that's not a wrong thing for them to start to ask those questions, think about that. Right. But what would be dangerous is if that high school student totally lost their interest in pursuing a deeper closeness with Christ through his word, and just got completely sucked into these kind of um, almost apologetic type arguments. Is that kind of an accurate way of saying what we're trying to describe here? I think that's an excellent way of saying it, Connor. I think that you think about it, like we can get diverted because there's people running aground and hitting the reef and, you know, breaking up in terms of they want to break up with the church. Right. And there are people that get sucked into that. And instead of staying firm and loving, they just go... And, and do an error, they say, oh, I'm just going to be accepting. I'm just going to listen. And they listen to lies. They start believing the lies themselves, hmm. right? So think about a whole generation of people that has been told and taught everything is about you. You are the center of the universe. Right. You are the focal point. Do, do whatever you want. And the Bible says absolutely counterintuitive. The Bible says absolutely opposite. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. You were living for yourself, but now when you live in Christ, you no longer live for yourself, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So I think when we're addressing these situations, we have to be loving and firm, kind of like a good parent. Yeah right? You can't just be all loving or else it's not loving anymore. Yep. You can't be all firm or else you're going to be you know, too, too strong, too authoritarian. Right. Loving and firm, that balance where you say, I'm not going to budge on truth. I'm not going to throw you away just because you're having some questions. The truth can handle the questions. The question is, are you going to go and bounce your questions off the truth? Hmm. Or are you going to push the truth away and just you know, sync with your questions? Yeah. And I think p- probably... Mike, you and I and Tanner's in the room with us too recording. We could all, we can all think of friends I know who've gone down the road of starting to engage somebody else's arguments. Mm-hmm. And then as they engage, mm-hmm. I mean, you've, I've, I've heard you talk about a friend who started a book study of, you know, a certain atheistic thinker and they read through this book together, a small group in the church and really rocks some people's faith because I think, I think probably because among other reasons, there's lots of factors, but because there'd been a a loosening of that focus on Christ and the cameraman got distracted and all of a sudden it was all of that and not much of Christ. And you don't, you don't stand up when your focus is diverted in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So when you just said that, you think about engaging the arguments, you want to do it. You want to engage the arguments, but don't coddle the arguments, counter the arguments with truth, right? Almost like, 
put a put a fence around the argument and say, look, we got the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, conscience-binding, perfect, eternal word of God here, and and then our puny ideas. And when we raise our ideas above the knowledge of God, we're in the shakiest of grounds, right? We're like sinking in the depths of quicksand right. when that happens. Right. So we need to just counter the arguments with solid truth because that's the most freeing thing. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You won't be enslaved to lies. You won't be bound by error. Yeah, that's super helpful. Uh, here, let me let me pivot if I can. So we we talked a little bit about how somebody could kind of, you know, get pointed in about in an unhelpful direction by getting too focused on the the issues that deconstructionism is bringing up. But can we talk for a little bit about okay, well, if we if we do have an appropriate focus on Christ, scripture, we're loving the local church, we're loving our bibles, we're reading them, we're having fellowship with other believers, we have a rich, you know, life in Christ. Mm-hmm. What is the place for apologetics in all of this? And this is something that we'll we'll continue to unpack in future episodes too, but maybe we can just start on this now, Mike. Where, where do apologetics fit into all of this? I grew up in, and I, maybe in some way all of us did, I grew up in an apologetics kind of a culture that was very focused on uh, creationism and evolution, mm-hmm. focused a little bit on the problem of, of suffering and pain in the world, somewhat focused on, you know, kind of other religions and where Christianity fits and right. all of those. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily get anything in terms of apologetics that attacked some of these ideas head on. It's kind of a new frontier. So mm-hmm. what would you, how would you encourage people as they're thinking about, okay, well, I want to be prepared. I want to have a kind of apologetic response to what I'm hearing from friends. Mm-hmm. Where do apologetics fit in? Okay. I, I love this. I love the way you tee that up as well. Good setup. Um, so, okay, let's take a step back. Let's just talk about where we get the word apologetics, okay. right? Apologia in, in the Greek, right? It means to speak in defense of. Mm-hmm. So you're speaking in defense of a doctrine. What I would do, and this is just me, but maybe it'll be helpful for someone else. I won't even name it apologetics, okay? I like it. All right. I'm so with you. Keep and going. The, and the reason why is because as soon as you hear the word apologetics, again, we all think of certain niche yeah. uh, you know, designer apologetics, right? For this <laughs> or this or this. And it's, it's awesome, right? And it's like, oh, so-and-so is an amazing apologist. Every Christian should be an amazing apologist and theologian. Uh, be, you should be able to give a defense for the faith. You should be able to give a, a, a defense for the hope that's within you with, with gentleness and, and reverence. Yep. And so this is kind of what we're talking about here. And so I would say this. I would say um, there are people who are floundering, and they need that argument in defense of a doctrine and then there are people that are already gone that are drawing people away. And I have not found it hyper helpful um, hmm. or hyper um, fruitful to do the defense of the doctrine to those already leaving. You know, the Bible's pretty replete with these warnings about what to do or instructions about what to do with those that are, you know, either causing divisions or whatever. It's uh, in Titus uh, 3.10, after a first and second warning, have nothing to do with them. Oh, but we want to keep chasing after them. Yeah, I've done the chasing. Yeah, and it's 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 a futile. It's oftentimes a futile exercise. I think if someone's in play and they're willing to to engage, it's one thing. If someone is militant, I think we have to take a hard look and say, okay, we might face up to them with truth, but really, is that what all they're doing is fighting it, fighting it, fighting it? So, if in my in my estimation, I'd say. Let me take a different tack. Let me take a different approach. It might be that I lay off 
that and and they expect me to come full force with all this doctrine at them and i might just ask them about their life hmm. or i might just take an interest in something else yep. kind of yep. kind of go around the Absolutely. back door yep. uh, to the side door of right. the house and knock on that right oh it's not locked anymore <laughs> they'll open that up yep and and we just talk about that and diffuse <laughs> all the the angst that just rises up because when you're trying to defend this is interesting there are people that will defend things that they usually wouldn't defend if they get enough pushback about it. Because it feels like the righteous thing to do. That and we are just prone to defend our ideas even if we don't fully, even if they're not fully formed or we're not fully hmm. believing them. I mean, I, I, one time I had a friend who was following a certain, it wasn't theological, it was a thing in life, a practice. And I tried to say to them, I don't know if this is going to work that well. I've seen it not work. And they defended their their thing. And then sooner or later, they let go of it. It was no big deal. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, but just I push. made them just defend it. Yes, I pushed said, hey, them to I'll, defend it. Yeah, I'm not standing up for this. So, I mean, you don't want to be counterproductive. It's like, if you, you could do something that literally makes someone more entrenched. Now, part of that might be the judgment of God, okay? You've got to just say, only God knows. But if you go too hard against someone... It could cause them to dig their their feet in just to beat you in the argument, and and really they get further further entrenched in error by our by our you know almost by our our good motives that were just off off point. Right. Does that, does that make any yeah. sense? No, I, yeah, I think I that mean, makes a ton of sense. I I feel like you know if if there could be a shift, I totally agree with you. I, maybe apologetics isn't even the helpful word to use. <laughs> what are we doing? We're bringing Jesus to people. You right. know. Um, what is it that is either a stench of life, stench of life, you know, what is either smells like life yes. or that is the stench of death to people? Yes. It's the message of Jesus and him crucified for sinners and risen again. To some people, that is offensive and, you know, it, it just, it, it further hardens them. Mm-hmm. But to other people, as the Spirit is working, they find Jesus, um, you know, compelling, amazing. Even unbelievers can read the New Testament and just start to see as they read the Gospels especially, wow, this Jesus character is just completely out of a different world. He's unlike anything I've ever seen, you know? And they may yeah. be hardened eventually because they'll see all the ways that his lordship is going to come and fringe on, on their life as they're living it. But I don't, don't know the right way to say it, but basically like a, a Jesus message. <laughs> That's what we want right. to you know, bring to people. And if the relationship is developed with somebody to the point where the conversation can be more open, maybe that looks like, hey, would you be willing to read through the Gospel of Mark with me? And maybe, you know, every month we could get together and, and talk about what you're reading or, you know, every, I don't know. I don't, that could look like so many different things. Mm-hmm. But exposing people to Jesus, I think, is a good, a good place to start once that love and relationship has already been established. The side door, you know, knocking. I think that's a good picture. Right. And because the compelling story is the testimony, right? It's the testimony of a, of a changed life. And you think about when Jesus was first calling his disciples and called the very first disciples, and you'll notice what happens. They brought people to Jesus. They, right. they encountered Jesus. So, right. for example, uh, one of the two, this is in John chapter 1, verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yep. Jesus looks at him and says, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
The next day, Jesus goes to Galilee. He finds Philip and says to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote of, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. They're just locked on to Jesus. Right. And Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. Okay, yeah. best question ever. And, <laughs> and Philip says, come and see. So they're all bringing people to Jesus, right? So it's like they're taking them away from their other stuff and saying, you need to see this person. Right. And I think if we focus on the person of Christ, obviously in Scripture, Right. Because that's how we know Christ. Right. We, he's revealed in Scripture. So you engage the argument, don't coddle them, counter them with truth, but really show them Christ. And that, that, can, that can be very disarming as well. Because it's like, think of it this way. Someone says, well, I'm doing this, or I'm doing that, or I think this, or I think that. And this is my story, and you can't argue with it. Okay, I get it. Let me tell you mine. Because yeah. presumably you can't argue with mine either. <laughs> because and here's my story. This is how yeah. Jesus changed my life. Yep. Here's how Jesus changed my life, my marriage, my work, everything about the way I view life. He gave me a a, a renewed, a completely renewed, transformed life. And I see the world through a biblical lens now, and it's actually it's a it's a beautiful picture. Right. <laughs> I th- I think that's a great if I could just jump in for a second. I just you know, the the whole idea of now I see the world through a biblical lens and it's a great picture. If there is an apologetic angle to all of this, as we're bringing Christ to people, I think it's to open up this idea of, hey, how does your how does how's your worldview doing in accounting for the the world? And Mm -hmm. I and I would maybe and I don't know, you could say this in a loving way, but basically submit to somebody. I think that the Bible actually makes sense of the world, and and your worldview doesn't do that. And and um, the Bible is really the only thing that makes sense of the world. And you know, even Mm -hmm. at in terms of the specific kind of deconstruction conversation again, in a loving way, in the appropriate way, but we can come to people with questions that essentially ask, hey, how's it working out for you? Or or on what grounds do you think that maximum realization of self-expression mm-hmm. is going to lead you to greatest happiness? You know, right. like, is that true? It's so much baked into the culture that nobody even second guesses it. But is that claim really true? You know, right, right. is the expression of whatever your internal gender identity is telling you is is finally realizing that and expressing that? Mm-hmm. Is that really the road to happiness? Like that? That's a question I think that you can ask people, you know, in a loving way. Absolutely. Uh, so think of it this way too. Like you see, you got to ask good questions, okay? But it's, you got to give them a truth sandwich, okay? Give yeah. them some truth. Ask yeah. my question, and then give them more truth. Yeah. Because they're the answer to their question is not the real answer the right, right. answer because they like, might, and they may say well yeah of course yeah <laughs> right yeah so i'd say to make sense of the world you got to play both offense and defense yeah that's so hopeful. there's absolutely a place for apologetics but first bring him to jesus okay play offense on the on the offensive in the best possible way show them christ right i love you know you alluded to it earlier but in in second corinthians where it says god manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him. Thank you. That's everywhere the word, not stench. we go, right? And we are <laughs> to some aroma. What are we? We are to some a uh, an aroma of of uh, death, but to others, those who are being saved, an aroma of life. And it's like, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Right. So I think you want to play the defense, and you want to be able to defend the faith well, and you're going to have to contend earnestly, but you have to play offense too, and you, and both both make a good defense. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Defense wins championships too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what is offense. <laughs> no, but that's kind of your point, right? Yes. Jesus. Yes. And then also 
as and this is I think sometimes sometimes the way the conversation can go is if somebody's either they're coming with you to church or you're reading the Bible with them or whatever mm-hmm. that looks like. Well, as they're being exposed to who Jesus is, certain questions are starting to come up for them. You know, well, mm-hmm. what does this mean for my gay friends? What does this mean for you know? I don't know the the job that I'm that I'm working at or just any right. any questions. It's like okay, well now we can we can really talk about that. You know, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. You just mentioned this. A lot of people now will say, "I can have blank X Y Z and be a Christian," where the Bible doesn't give those allowances or those assurances, right? But there's this other. Th- Back in the day, it was everybody pretty much knew you can't be a Christian and and do these other things that are immoral or they're prohibited in scripture. But everyone's trying to have that, you know, that old saying, the cake, have your cake and eat it yep. too, or whatever. Yep. Uh, the idea that you have to play that offense and defense and say, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, that's not biblical. That's going to be really hard for a lot of people. It's a lo- hard for a lot of people to take, but it's still the truth. Yep. So we have to decide, are we going to capitulate on the truth? Or are we going to really go with it? Yep. And let's just do this. Let's close with, with these verses. I know our time's up, but Let's close with the verses that we were alluding to earlier, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, victory in Christ, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? You know, Christ is our sufficiency. For we are not like many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So there's this profound influence from God. The aroma emanates out from God, but we are also commissioned by God, and in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So we're servants of Christ. Yep. We want to show Christ, and we want to contend earnestly for the faith. Yep, absolutely. No, a great way to end. I love that idea that, men, that they're men of sincerity. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, people in this culture especially value sincerity. You know, if you come across as insincere or shallow or, or you're just kind of a surfacey person presenting a surfacey impression of Christ, well, people see that in a heartbeat. So to really get started with all this, we need to have a deep you know, experience of God's grace to us in Jesus uh, in the first place. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. I uh, really appreciate you being with us today. This is, as we said, uh, the, we're in the middle of a series here, so there'll be more to come on this. We hope this is helpful to you as maybe you're processing through some of these things yourself. Maybe you're interacting with friends who have uh, turned away from the faith, and we just hope this is a blessing to you. Uh, until next time, we're praying for you. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time on the podcast. God bless you.